Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Fishing for Men with Mac show. Welcome, human beings. It is good to have you. Uh, today, I'll be talking about this question. What will you do if you turn around from dying? In other words, you, you were told that you're going to die, whether you had a disease or whatever it is, and then suddenly you find out you've been cured, and now you're going to live again. Like, for example, if you, if you knew, if, if a doctor tells you, look, you're probably going to die within three months, and then the three months go by, and then after that, then you learn that you're going to live for another 15 years exactly. What if somehow you could have known that's how long you would live? How would you, how would you do life differently? I mean, imagine being charged with a death sentence uh, for a crime that you have not committed. But it's written uh, in, in stone, basically, that you're going to die. You're going to pay for this crime that was committed, uh, even though it wasn't you. But then later, they find out uh, you're actually not guilty and they just release you from prison. You've made up your mind. You've only got a few months to live. And now suddenly, you're out in the big wide world and you can just uh, live the rest of your life. How would you, how would you live that life. I uh, watched the documentary on uh, Netflix of about Ivan the Terrible, about a gentleman that was uh, found in Cleveland, Ohio, in the States, that uh, was apparently, well, he was accused of being one of the most vicious uh, prison guards at Treblinka during the Second World War. Uh, that's why they called him Ivan the Terrible. He used to stab women into the gas chambers to, to, you know, to get them inside. He used to cut off their breasts and things like that. Horrible man. And now a year late on his life, they find him in the States and court cases ensue. Eventually, the, the American court cases find him guilty. He's shipped over to Israel to be uh, judged and punished by the Jewish people. And they find him guilty. And then a few months later, you know, he appeals and he is found not guilty. He flies back to America and he's acquitted of all the issues. And he, and he goes back to living a normal life. Now, in, in Israel, he was going to be hung. So he had quite a few months sitting in that prison cell thinking about the fact that he's going to be hung soon. And then suddenly the court case comes through and he can go back to America and go live his life again. I mean, can, can you imagine what goes on in your mind as you are preparing to die and then suddenly you can live again? And so the question is, you were supposed to be dead, but you live. How would you live? How valuable is life to you? Death is the most dreadful thing for us to come to grips with. Uh, people become very sober when they face death. When you face death, you, you reevaluate life. You reevaluate your own existence. Uh, suddenly, most people, they become very spiritual. Most people who claim to be atheists are only atheists until they get to their deathbed. Because then they start asking the big questions about life. Then they start realizing, oh my goodness, soon I'll be going into the eternal chasm. Uh, death has the ability to help you think through your existence. So it's actually very good. It's good to be threatened with death uh, because it might just wake you up and challenge you to live more responsibly. Now, the reason why I thought it a good idea to talk about it this week is because of some of the experiences that I've had this year and also of lately um, the church that I uh, serve in, in the States has an, had, had an interim preacher and he, 
he passed away last last week i think it was on on saturday morning last week saturday morning what an amazing gentleman and he over and over said that he just he wants to preach the word of god until he dies he is somebody that has found a reason to live that was the key reason why he wanted to be alive well he passed away now and you know it's interesting to think about his life and 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 to think about the fact that he's now with his parents perhaps he's now with great friends that he's lost throughout his life um but one thing i do know is that this gentleman was prepared for death and that he lived fully what he believed was the best to do with his life until the day that he died in his mind <coughs> excuse me in his mind the best thing to do was to preach the gospel of jesus christ until the moment that he died uh, do you have something worth dying for what are the most important things in your life that you need to resolve before you die and are you living out those things or are you saying well i probably live another 30 years and then i'll and then i'll look at the important things uh, and then two other gentlemen the ones the, the one was a was a an amazing man lying in hospital earlier this year he was going to get a heart operation a very very big heart operation that many people actually don't survive and and we went to his bedside the day before the operation and we spoke to him about uh about his about his life and how does he feel about this moment of going into the theater with the possibility that he's not going to come out alive can you imagine what it feels like to know that within 12 hours you're going to go in for an operation and you probably possibly most you know it's more probable that you're not going to survive it okay can you imagine what it feels like to go into that operating theater what goes on in your mind for those 12 hours it's it's like you want an extension just give me two days or three days but 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 you can't really and it was so interesting sitting there and talking to him and sharing a story with him which i'm going to share with all of you now as well um and 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 i asked him what, what if if you if you survive this operation what would you do how would your life be different and it's interesting while he was lying on the bed i asked him so what what is the one thing that you want to ask god today and he started he started actually crying you know dropping a tear and, and he says all my life uh, god has given me life for free and now as i lie here sort of at the end of my life I'm asking again for life. And and basically what he's saying is so humbly. He was humbly saying, God has given me life so much and I still ask for more. He's been so gracious to me and I still ask for more. That was just a beautiful moment. And I told him the story of Hezekiah. Don't worry, I'm going to tell you about it as well. And earlier this year as well, there was, a, there was another gentleman, an older man who had some serious cancer and who was also going in for a big operation. And... Uh, the same story um, we shared with him, this, the story of um, if you survive this operation, what would you do? You are facing possible death, but if you don't die, what will you do with your life? And lo and behold, it's a few months later, both of these gentlemen are still, still living. I remember another man who has passed away now. I can maybe mention his name. It was, was Adrian. He uh, had... He was probably one of the gentlemen that I've seen suffer the most on this planet. I've never seen somebody with the type of pain and struggle that that guy had. He had at one point he had gangrene in his in his toes, and uh, there were worms in his flesh. Um, he had uh, he had some big operations. Uh, it it 
I, I just don't want to go into the details because it will really be gruesome. But I've never seen somebody suffer like this. And I remember what he said before he went into one of his big operations. The biggest operation where they took out a lump of cancer bigger than a tennis ball. And he said basically that, you know, before the operation, he's like praying and we must pray for him and, you know, bring God into the story. We want God's blessing. Any guys, he went into the operating theater. He came out on the other side. And you know what he said? He said, God made me sick, but doctors healed me. God made me sick, but man healed me and gave me life. So before his possible death, he was uh, he was praying to God, praising God. After his operation, suddenly God is the, is the culprit. God is the bad guy. And people have saved him. Now, that's the type of person that, well, he's passed away now. But that's the type of person that <coughs> has, no, has no respect or honor for the life that he has. He just, he just when, when he was desperate, he begged God. But when he got life again, everything is fine. Then he rejected and neglected God. So, yeah, those are some um, interesting, and, and there's many of those. The, the point is just this, that when people face death, they become very humble. But when they get life again, they seem to forget how valuable life is. We only seem to start to evaluate life when we face death. No, we, we only start to value life when we are faced with death. And I believe that every day we should be living as if though we'll be dying. Because that is the truth. Every day, every minute that goes by, you are one second closer to your death. And if you were going to die tomorrow, what would you do today? How would you treat your family members? How would you consider your, your spiritual well-being? I um, want to tell you maybe just something that happened to me this last week. I uh, had... Uh, this this lump i've been having this lump feeling in my throat for quite a while and so earlier this year i had my tonsils removed and the the lump feeling stayed there in my throat and so i went then and i, I had some of my teeth removed i thought maybe it's uh, an infection from my teeth i had some really bad teeth don't get root canals guys anyways and then the lump still doesn't didn't go away and the discomfort was still in my throat so i i was last week i was like i was like devastated so i go into google which you should never do and go read up about this and there's all kinds of things about cancer and growths and oh and i you know and i started to 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 think to myself well and i see the the survival rate of uh, laryngeal cancer and things like that is not good at all okay and then I started to think about my own death. I thought, well, what if I do have cancer in my throat? Then it possibly means that I will die soon. What if the doctor tells me I've got three months left to live? Just so that you know, I went to the doctor uh, yesterday, the day before, and they put the scope thing through my nose. You know, like you guys that have done the COVID test where they put it in your nose, they put it through your nose and then go down into your throat to look at your larynx and everything. And so everything is fine in my throat. So, yeah. But a few days ago, I wasn't sure right because nothing takes away this discomfort okay so i then had to sit and ask the question what will i do if i've got three months left to live what will i do how how intense is that and one of the things that helped me sort of cope with the situation is that i will see some dead people soon like some of the people that have died in my life like my dad like my grandfather and i thought about 
you know, you know that, that that's sort of the way that you cope because you you're telling yourself, well, I could see these people when I die. But then I wonder about my wife, and I wonder, what if she's gonna get a she's got to get another husband? You know, if I go, then she's got to get another guy, and how do I feel about that? <laughs> can I meet him here so that I can punch him in the face before I go? You know what I'm saying? But but nevertheless, you you gotta you gotta you gotta wish the best for your for your family. And there's, there's a movie uh, that Alfredo watched recently about a girl who was marrying this guy, and she had cancer. Okay. And she she walked around and looked for a, a wife for him for when she leaves. So she wanted to pick the right woman for him. And so that's the type of stuff that came into my mind. I was like thinking, how, where should I get a husband for my wife when I leave? Right. Um, will my boys be OK without me? I will be missing out on mentoring them. What can I do? Can I make videos for them that they can watch when they are 16 years old? Have have I made a big enough impact in this world? Am I satisfied with the impact that I've made in this world? And obviously the big question then came and said, well, <clears throat> uh, if you do go to the doctor and there's nothing in your throat, how are you going to live your life differently? How will you live your life differently? So let's get back to the question. If you knew that you would die and you go through you go through all the begging through you begging god for life you think through the 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 scenario of actually passing over to death you think about the scenario of the people that you leave behind okay so if you knew that you would die and then you realize that you won't die what would you do differently and it's a very difficult question to ask this because you probably haven't faced death or maybe you have the truth is just that I've met many people in this life that have actually received a death sentence, either through a disease or whatever, and they ended up living and they didn't really change their lives. So let me tell you the story that I usually tell people who lie on their deathbeds. It's the story of Hezekiah, who was a king in Jerusalem. And you know what? I'm not going to explain it. I'm just going to read it to you and you would find it quite interesting. This is in Isaiah chapter 38. So he lived during the days that Assyria uh, was the ruling empire of the world. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Can you imagine receiving that message? Okay. God says to you, you're going to die. You will not recover. Get your life in order. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father, David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. Wow. Can you imagine that? All Hezekiah did. So God comes and tells him, your life is going to end. Get your life in order. Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and he starts praying and he asks God, please, Lord, remember the good things that I've done in this life. Have mercy on me. And then God responds and God says, okay, I've heard your, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. 
I'm going to give you 15 years of life. And what always comes to my mind is, how did Hezekiah take that? How did Hezekiah um, live those 15 years? Wouldn't that be interesting to see how he lived it? But I've got here a poem that he wrote after he heard that he's going to live again. And what's interesting for me is, is that I think most of us would do the same thing. You're about to die. You find out that you're going to live again. And you are just ecstatic. You are so happy. And, and you make all kinds of promises to God. So I'm going to read it to you. This is what he wrote after he received that message. I said in the prime of my life must I go through the gates of death and be robbed of the rest of my years. I said I will not again see the Lord. The Lord in the land of the living no longer will I look on mankind or be with those who, who now dwell in this world. Like a shepherd's tent, my house has been pulled down and taken from me. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life, and he has cut me off from the loom. Day and night, you made an end of me. I waited patiently till dawn, but like a lion, he broke all my bones. Day and night, you made an end of me. I cried like a swift of thrush. I moaned like a morning dove. My eyes grew weak as I looked to the heavens. I am troubled. O Lord, come to my aid. What is he doing? He's explaining how he felt before he received this news from God that he was going to live again. But what can I say? He has spoken to me and he himself has done this. I will walk humbly all my years because of this anguish of my soul. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you hear that? He's saying, I'm going to be humble for the rest of my life. I'm going to be humble for the rest of my life. That's a promise that he made. Lord, by such things men live, and my spirit finds life in them too. You restored me to health and let me live. Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In your love you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. For the grave cannot praise you. Death cannot sing your praise. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living they praise you as I am doing today. Fathers tell their children about your faithfulness. The Lord will save me and we will sing with stringed instruments all the days of our lives in the temple of the Lord. That is quite loaded, right? But the two key things that I see here is just that he says he's going to sing praises to God in the temple of the Lord for the rest of his life. And the other thing is that he's going to walk humbly. He's going to be humble. Okay. So then the question arises, well, what happened? What happened in his life the sad part is is that he made one big fatal mistake i'm going to read to you what happened and then i'll make some conclusions about that at that time merodach baladan son of baladan king of babylon sent hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of his illness and recovery so they've heard about this miraculous healing from a distant country, from Babylonia. Hezekiah received the envoys gladly and showed them what was in his storehouses. The silver, the gold, the spices, the fine oil, his entire armory and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. So what did he do? He bragged about his kingdom. He bragged about the wealth of his kingdom. He bragged about his leadership. So he just said he's going to be humble. He ends up actually being the opposite, not humble. All right. Then Isaiah the prophet. I mean, this, this was like a moment. Sorry to just interject there. This was a moment where he could actually take pride in his God. They have come all the way from Babylonia because they heard that he was on his deathbed, but that he was raised 
uh, to, to live 15 years again. They knew that it was something miraculous. Isn't this a prime opportunity for Ezekiah to say, you know what, it is the God whom I serve. It's him that made me stand here today healthy. But he didn't. He takes them around and he shows them gold and silver. And his powerful kingdom that he rules. Isn't that interesting? You see, that's where the problem comes in. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, What did these men say and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied, they came to me from Babylon. The prophet asked, What did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There is nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood who will be born to you, will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Do you know what what he's saying here? He's saying here, because you have done this, the Babylonians are going to come, they're going to conquer this city, the kingdom is going to be, and this is actually what happened in history, by the way, and your, your sons, your own sons, will become eunuchs in the land of the Babylonians. You know what that means? They will be castrated. Your sons will be castrated. How do you think that Hezekiah responded to this? Look at this. The word of the, the, word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah said, for he thought, there will be peace and security in my lifetime. Now, let me just tell you what that means. Hezekiah is saying, okay, so I've done this. I've shown this to these, to this, this, this convoy from uh, Babylon. I've shown them the treasures. God says he's not happy about that. Um, and you are saying that the kingdom is going to be conquered by the Babylonians and that all these treasures are going to be taken and that my sons will become eunuchs in Babylon. But that's okay. Hezekiah says, it's okay. And you know why? Listen to what he said. Because there will be peace and security in my lifetime. So what do you pick up about Hezekiah? What do you pick up in Hezekiah? He only cared about his own life. As long as he was alive, there was going to be peace. So he's fine with it. He didn't care about the next generation. And he didn't care about the kingdom. He cared about his own life, not his descendants. Isn't that sad? He only cared about the kingdom while he was alive and not after his death. And I think that we see something important here about Hezekiah. Some things that we can learn from him. We should care most about those things that will outlive us. Like our children. Like leaving a legacy. Like doing something on the planet that will keep living after you die. And ask yourself the question today. If you die... In two months from now, what are you leaving behind on this planet that will make this planet a better place? You see, Hezekiah didn't care about the kingdom and he didn't care about even his sons. The greatest investment that you can make is in your children. And it's so sad for me to see how some parents parent their kids. The kids kids must just, you know, stay away. There's no mentorship. It's just survival. I'm just raising you so that you can study and so that you can go into the world. There's no mentorship, investment in kids saying, look, I want you to make a powerful impact in this world. And today might be the last day that I've got with you. So I need to invest in you. I need to share some wisdom with you. Confucius said, if your plan is for a year, plant rice. If your plan is for 10 years, 
plant trees. If your plan is for a hundred years, educate children. I would like to add, if you want to make an impact for a thousand years, become a sage. If you want to make an eternal impact, save a soul. Now that's personally why I fish for men. That's why I have this podcast. Personally, because I've made up my mind that the most valuable thing that I can do in this world is to make disciples. People who will live forever in the presence of the God who created the universe. And obviously, obviously there are earthly bound things as well. It's not just about eternity, but it's about this world. We want to live this. We want to leave this world in a better place than what we found it. So go think about it. What do you do with your time and your energy? What do you do with the every minute that you have been given by God? You haven't given this minute to yourself. You can't give yourself time. You, you can't even breathe. You can't even create the oxygen, oxygen that your lungs breathe in. So what will you do with this time that God has given you? Some research says that if we live on average 71 years, we spend 180 days exercising. It is those who do exercise. We spend 29.1 years looking at a technological device. We spend 21 years of those 71 years sitting. And we spend four years with close family members. Now, I'm not saying these numbers need to change. These are just an average. I'm just saying, what are you doing while you're sitting and watching at a device? Is there something that you could watch on that device that might make you a better person and might impact your life and therefore the lives of other people's lives? The challenge is this. Imagine, imagine that you're going to die soon. And then you go and you write down, what would you do if you're about to die soon? Just go imagine that. Do the exercise and then you go and you adapt your life to that. Because you might just die soon in any ways. We've got this one life, ladies and gentlemen. We've got to live it. Carpe diem. Seize the moment. Right? Seize the day. Have a fantastic day. Love you all. Bye.